are the New York Jets officially for real? We talk about that. The Cincinnati Bengals bounce back win. Justin Fields and more coming up next here on this edition of Locked on NFL. You are Locked on NFL. Your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome into another edition of the Locked On NFL Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today is Monday, so you have me. Kevin Ostriker, one of the many NFL experts from the Locked On Podcast Network. Thank you so much for making us your first listen of the day here. Free and available on all podcasting platforms, including over on YouTube. And Locked On NFL is, of course, your daily podcast covering all the biggest stories around the NFL in less than 30 minutes. Again, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we have a ton to talk about. Week 9 Sunday action officially in the books. Monday Night Football between the Saints and the Ravens coming up here today. We're going to talk about plenty of the biggest storylines here. First, starting off in Cincinnati with Jake Liskow, as we talk about Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, and that Bengals win over the Panthers. A big bounce-back effort from their Week 8 primetime loss. Then in the second segment, we'll be talking with John Butchko of Locked On Jets. The Jets keep winning, and we're going to talk about if they are for real with John Butchko. And then in the final segment, we'll flip over to Chicago. The Bears did lose in week nine, but Justin Fields showed plenty of flashes. We'll talk with Lauren Cox about Fields, the future, and more in Chicago. So without any further ado, let's dive into this episode of Locked On NFL. First talking with Jake Liska of Locked On Bengals. Well, the Cincinnati Bengals bounced back in a big way in week nine, a 42-21 to 21 win over the Panthers. And here to talk about it with me is Jake Liskow, one of the hosts over at Locked On Bengals. And Jake, after a pretty disappointing loss in week eight to Cleveland in prime time, this was a huge comeback win for Cincinnati in terms of them coming back and being able to bounce back from that loss. How were they able to put that behind them and come out and dominate on Sunday? They stayed ahead of the chains the entire first half when the game was somewhat competitive before things got out of hand. And they accomplished that largely with a running game that had been mostly pretty anemic this year. They were one of the worst five or six teams in the NFL per rushing EPA per play coming into the game. And it kind of came out of nowhere to me, to, to many that follow the team, maybe someone out there called it, but going against the Panthers team, this one been one of the better run defenses looking at EPA per play or PFF grades or traditional stats or, or tape or whatever you want. They've been pretty good against the run this year. And then out of nowhere, Joe Mixon sets a franchise record and runs for seven yards per carry and things get out of hand early. Yeah, and I, I say comeback win. It was not a comeback win for Cincinnati. They got out to that huge lead, Mixon with five touchdowns in the game. It's incredible what he was able to do. But I know, Jake, a lot of the conversation was surrounding Jamar Chase and his injury and how Cincinnati's offense would look without him. And week eight against Cleveland didn't look great. But in week nine, they did find something. I mean, what, what was it the from week eight to week nine that you saw be the difference for them? In week eight, they just couldn't block against cover two with a four-man rush. So Miles Garrett's getting home and disrupting things. Joe Burrow's sped up. He has to check the ball down. They, they didn't really try to run the ball a whole lot early. And when they did try to run the ball, I think I looked at it, it was like four out of their first 21 plays or something were, were running attempts. 
it didn't go very well on those handful of plays. Against Carolina, they came out and they were dominant in the run game from the jump. And the pressure wasn't so much an issue. Like I said, staying ahead of the chain is such a big factor when you're a team that is going to put a lot on your quarterback in the first place. This isn't a Mike McDaniel, Kyle Shanahan, whatever you want to call it, offense. Using a lot of misdirection, a lot of motion at the snap, using a lot of play action to scheme guys open. This is a a team that likes their playmakers, likes them to win one-on-ones and trust Joe Burrow to distribute the ball. And when there's a pass rush disrupting all that, things can go off the rails like they did against Cleveland. And then when you get down against a team like Cleveland, they're going to run the ball on you the way the Bengals ran the ball in the Panthers in week nine. And then you're just down and Miles Garrett is pinning his ears back the whole game. Cleveland is a team built to play from ahead. Most NFL teams play better from ahead against the the Panthers in week nine, saying ahead of the chains, early down success, a big point of emphasis for the team this week, according to Zach Taylor. But the running game had to exceed expectations the way that they were able to move the chains early. There were a few things that even stood out as things that haven't worked all year for the Bengals that were working against Carolina. That was kind of a sign that that's the way the game was going to go. They had some toss plays work early and they've been miserable trying to toss the ball this year in the running game. They had a screenplay that went for an explosive early in the game as well. And the Bengals screen game, while it's been okay, hasn't really been explosive like that for a lot of the year. Right. And let's flip over to defense, Jake, because this is a team in Cincinnati that got PJ Walker benched here. Walker finishes the game. Not great numbers, three of 10 for nine yards. So great on Cincinnati's defense, but this has been a unit, Jake, that has gone through injuries. They continue to kind of lose guys and get some of those guys back, but losing a number one corner, DJ Reader's absence has been felt this season. Who, Who stepped up in this game for the Cincinnati defense to hold Carolina to 21 points, but most of that was did come in garbage time. The defensive line, I thought, played really well early in the running game. I thought Carolina had a pretty bad plan, to be honest, not to throw darts or anything too hard in the other direction. But they came out run, run, pass, punt kind of thing that the stereotype a few times where they just got themselves into third downs and didn't convert. And they just weren't hitting on on anything downfield on early downs and and they got behind the chains where the Bengals stayed ahead of the chains. I do think that it was a tougher job for the defense, as you mentioned, without Chidobe Abouzier, without DJ Reader and Mike Hilton, their starting slot corner, also didn't play in this game. So the starters for the Bengals are two guys that didn't start at the beginning of the year and Eli Apple, who has been a bit maligned this year. So credit to all of those guys for stepping up in the passing game. Could have been worse for PJ Walker as well. There was an illegal contact penalty called on Cam Taylor-Britt on an overthrow uh, that was a vertical to DJ Moore. He was bracketed on the play. Jesse Bates was over the top of it, nearly had a pick. So could have been even worse for P.J. Walker than it ended up. He did not look sharp today. And it wasn't really anything in particular, at least on paper. I think that the defense played disciplined, good team unit football to get the Panthers into third and longs. And then on those third downs, when you're an inexperienced passer, you don't really want to be going against Lou Anarumo's defense in drop-back passing situations on third downs because he's going to dial things up to confuse you, and I think that was part of it as well. So I credit Lou Anarumo for coaching a defense to overcome really missing three very important pieces in Chidobe Abouzier, who, of course, out for the season, one of the better corners in the NFL, underappreciated, so I'm going to just give him some props on the national show here for a second. DJ reader, one of the best nose tackles in the NFL. So two very important pieces for this defense that they overcame in week nine. Yeah, absolutely. And now Cincinnati five and four heading in 
to their bye week in week 10. So Jake, what's the mood with you with, with Cincinnati right now with this team? It's definitely uplifting heading into the bye with a dominant win like this, but looking ahead, what are you looking forward to? Yeah, I think that looking back, I know you asked me to, to look ahead and I will, but looking back, you look back to week one against Pittsburgh with Mitch Trubisky and that weird long snapper injury led loss is one that you probably look back on and you're going to have some regrets going into the bye at five and four instead of six and three. You can even look back to week two against Dallas and Cooper Rush, a game that probably they would like to have won with Joe Burrow going against Cooper Rush. And, and you look in general at the quarterbacks the Bengals have faced in the first half of their season, most of them are backups. And I don't say most lightly, like a dramatic majority of them are backups. And then Lamar Jackson was, was in there as well. And I guess Andy Dalton isn't a backup anymore. Hard to say what's going on in New Orleans. But when you look at the first half, you think this was the opportunity for the Bengals to stack up some wins. And they weren't necessarily as consistent as I'm sure they wanted to be in that period of time. And now they come out of the bye. And they have to get their first win in the division. That's where you're starting. That's the first thing to look ahead to. The Bengals taking on the Steelers coming out of the bye. But also, DJ Reader might be back. There's a lot of feeling around the team that he's on track to be back out of the bye. Jamar Chase didn't go on IR. There's a chance that he's back coming out of the bye, although it might take another week or two. At least that would be the hope, assuming that his recovery is going well with all the things going on with his hip, which is somewhat cryptic. So we'll see what happens there. But if they get those pieces back, then they are healthier for the stretch run. They're missing Shadobe Abuzia, which is very important because that is their number one corner. This is a very important piece for a defense that's really driven from its secondary in a lot of ways. But getting DJ Reader back, getting Mike Hilton back, getting some rest for some guys that are playing injured, like Sam Hubbard playing with a broken finger, Trey Hendrickson playing with an injured back, getting Jamar Chase back could be huge down the stretch. When it is Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson again, and some of these better teams, Tom Brady, some of these better quarterbacks that the Bengals will be playing against to finish the season. Right, and a big dominant win for Cincinnati in Week 9. Again, has to have them feeling good at least heading in to the bye. But for more on the Bengals and Jake's work, be sure to check out Locked On Bengals, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jake, thanks so much for having on. The Bengals head into their bye with a big momentum shift. If they had lost to Carolina, it would have been, I think, a bit ugly. But now they have a huge, huge win to go into their bye with, get healthy, and come out and perform even better. But coming up on our second segment, we'll be diving into another team heading into their bye in Week 10. The New York Jets were able to knock off the Buffalo Bills in Week 9. So be sure to stay tuned. Still a ton to dive into here unlocked on NFL first though I do want to tell you a bit about prize picks and I love fantasy I had a pretty successful fantasy week in week nine actually I won a lot of my leagues but if you want a different twist on fantasy try out prize picks it's super super easy to use and I really like how easy it is for their formats and the different games you can play and you can have a ton of current entries how it works pick two to five players and if they go score more or less and their prize pick projection you can win it to 10 times you on an entry there's no competing as other people it's just you versus the projections available Price Picks offers projections on any sport that you watch, including the NFL, the NBA, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, college basketball, and more entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. They have safe and fast withdrawals and they're currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. So now the Price Picks app, go to pricepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% isn't deposit match up to $100 or promo code locked on. So that means if you deposit $100, Price Picks will give you $100, you deposit $50, Pack Space will give you $50. Don't forget to enter promo code LOCKDOWN to sign up for an instant deposit match of up to $100. 
We're back here, our second segment of Locked On NFL. Kevin Ostreicher, your host, still here with you. Thank you so much for making us your first listen here today on Locked On NFL. But be sure to make your second listen to Locked On Sports Today podcast and the games that matter. So the biggest stories in sports go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights. Only Locked On can provide Locked On Sports Today available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. But let's now travel to New York, where, you, of course, the Giants are performing well, but you have the Jets. The Jets beating the Buffalo Bills, a major, major upset. But we're going to talk about if they're for real now with John Butchko of Locked On Jets. The New York Jets, they keep on winning, and this time doing against the Buffalo Bills in Week 9, pulling out a close one, 20-17. Here with me to break that down is John Butchko, the host over at Locked On Jets. And John, a game like that in all games against division rivals, they always have that extra oomph to them, but this game was one where the Jets, they grinded it out and they won this game. What were your emotions going through this entire thing and watching it unfold? You know, at the beginning, I really did not think the Jets had much of a shot in this one. It was the type of game where you know that Buffalo is the more talented team. So you're going to need a few breaks during the game. You need things to, to go right. And the game began with Braden Mann on the opening kickoff slipping and mishitting the ball and Buffalo getting the ball to the 45-yard line. And you're just saying, like, this is not the Jets' day. And then the first play from scrimmage, Stefan Diggs beats Sauce Gardner. With like Maybe the first time all year Sauce Gardner's been legitimately burned for a big game. And it's like, this is not the Jets' day. But then they catch a break. Josh Allen throws an interception. So you're saying, okay, maybe. But through the first half, Buffalo was dominating. They jumped out to a 14-3 lead. They were pretty much doing what they wanted on offense. The Jets were having a tough time getting anything going on the offensive side of the ball. Then right before the half, the Jets put together a drive. And they had it had a big fourth down conversion right around the two-minute warning. And that was huge because, first of all, they're down 14-3. So it keeps the touchdown alive. But it also allowed them to drain the clock because if they kick a field goal there, it's 14-6. But Buffalo gets the ball back. And they're going to have a chance to score right before halftime, make it a two-score game. So Jets ended up scoring a touchdown right before the half to cut it to 14-10. And they left the Bills a little bit of time. The Bills got into like the fringes of field goal range, but they – Tyler Bass missed a 55-yarder. If Buffalo had more time, maybe they could have gotten closer. So you go to the locker room, and it feels like Buffalo dominated, but you're only down four points, and that's a good omen for the Jets. In the second half, I mean, it followed the formula the Jets set out before the season. They wanted to lean on this defense, this defensive line anchored by Quinn and Williams. He had a, he had a sack early in the second half. Uh, the run game, the Jets really got James Robinson and Michael Carter going, especially near the end of the game. And they got just enough out of the passing game. But there was also a very weird thing that happened early in the second half of this game. There was an issue with the sky cam. So they had to like take the sky cam. This, this actually delayed the game. And this, I think, ended up maybe benefiting the Jets a little bit. It was funny because I, as I'm talking to Jets fans during the game, everybody's nervous because the Jets are on this long drive at the beginning of the second half. And people are saying this is going to stall out the momentum. Now, the drive actually ended in the Zach Wilson fumble. But when you add halftime to the Jets putting together a long drive, an eight-minute drive at the beginning of the second half, and then a delay for a sky cam, Buffalo's offense spent a lot of time on the sideline. And I wonder whether that maybe messed with their rhythm a little bit. So maybe that helped the Jets a little bit. But the defense, you got to give the Jets defense credit. The defensive line took over in the second half. The corners were really good. And with... Just under eight minutes left in the game. The score was tied at 17. The Jets got the ball on their own four-yard line after Buffalo pinned them in back with a punt. The Jets got from their own four to the Buffalo 20 without throwing the ball. 
It was Michael Carter and it was James Robinson running the ball. And they never even faced a third down. The Jets, with the game on the line, Buffalo could not stop the run. The Jets ran the ball at will on an excellent Buffalo defense. So, you know, great feelings if you're a Jets fan. It's been a while since we've had a competitive football team. So to be here six and three with a win over maybe the most talented team in the AFC, it's it's I was just looking for competitive football this year. That would have been a huge step up from what we've seen over the last decade with the Jets. So the fact they're not just competitive, that they're competing with they're beating the best team in the conference. It's a pretty amazing feeling. Yeah, and then let's talk about the AFC East a little bit, John, because now you have three six-win teams, six and two Buffalo, six and three Jets, and six and three Dolphins. You can't forget about the Patriots either. They're a five and four football team, so that division extremely talented. What's the mood in New York right now about that division? And if the Jets can make a run, maybe at the division, but also just to also get in the playoffs at wild court spot. Yeah, it's amazing. And I've, I actually thought people were underselling the AFC East this year. I thought it was going to be a really tough division. In fact, I thought the team that maybe would – have a little bit of trouble was the Jets because they were a little bit earlier in their build than some of the other teams. So you said it the best. The team in last place right now, the New England Patriots, is still over 500 in this division. I think you look at the way the Jets are playing. The Jets have shown that they are a legitimate football team. They're they're for real. You know, it was easy to dismiss what they've done to this point because they've had a really lucky run of backup quarterbacks that they faced. They got the Browns with Jacoby Brissett and they did not play well in that game. In fact, they needed a miracle to win that game. They got, even though there wasn't, like it was kind of the backup situation. They got the Steelers with Mitchell Trubisky, and then Kenny Pickett took over in that game. So, you know, they did technically face the backup, but it was a shaky quarterback situation. They got Skylar Thompson with Miami. Uh, they've got, you know, they, they got Brett Rippon with Denver. Even the game they won against the Packers, it was clear Aaron Rodgers was not himself. So it was easy to dismiss this. After this win, I think you got to say the Jets are for real. I, Buffalo is still the favorite. Listen, they, they're the team that's won the division the last two years. They're still the most, maybe the most talented team in the league. But after the Jets beat them head to head, you got to give them a puncher's chance against anybody. And you know what's amazing is last week the Jets lost to New England. They ended their four game win streak. And I think that there was a lot of sense in the fan base that, all right, maybe this was a mirage because at this game today, there were an awful lot of Bills fans. And I feel like maybe Jets fans were a little bit hesitant to maybe invest themselves emotionally in this team. I think if the Jets won last week, there would not have been anywhere near the number of Bills fans who were at MetLife Stadium this week. And I don't think it's going to be like that going forward. I think that this Jets fan base is now going to believe in this team. I think, you know, I don't think they're going to win the AFC East. I think they have a shot. I would still pick Buffalo, but I think this Jets team has a really good shot at making the playoffs. And the AFC East could be the type of division where, you get three teams in the playoffs and, you know, who knows? I, I think it's tough when you have all these teams playing against each other, the losses are going to add up. But if there was ever a division where you say, you know what, there's a shot all four teams that could make the playoffs, it might be the AFC East this year. Right. You you have those. Again, the Patriots in last place at five and four. But, John, you say, you say the Jets are for real. Give me your elevator pitch. Convince people why this Jets team is for real. The defense. Uh, they have a tremendous defensive line. Quinn and Williams is playing at an all-pro level right now. But they have other guys playing really well. You have John Franklin Myers, who's a kind of a hybrid guy who plays inside, he plays outside. He's playing at a really high level. But they also have corner play, which is just excellent. Now, they got beaten by Stefan Diggs a couple times in the first half. I mentioned Sauce Gardner kind of bit on a little bit of a double move early on. DJ Reed got beaten by Diggs. There's no shame in that. But these corners are playing really well. They also have a slot corner, Michael Carter II, who's playing excellent football. And they got a run game. You know, they don't have Brees Hall anymore, so the home run elements is gone. But they have a really solid run game in Michael uh, Michael Carter, 
and James Robinson. And I said Michael Carter, Michael Carter the second. Jets actually have two guys named Michael Carter. They have a court, slot corner, Michael Carter the second, and a running back, Michael Carter, who both were drafted last year in, on day three. But, I mean, what can I say about the Jets' run game? Well, I said it. They went from, with the game on the line, the Bills knew that they were going to run the ball. They went from the Buffalo four, uh, sorry, they went from the Jets four to the, their own four to the Buffalo 20 without facing a third down, running the ball the entire time. So the Jets can run the ball. And when that happens, it makes life easier for Zach Wilson, who's still very up and down. But one thing that's making Zach Wilson's life easier is Garrett Wilson has come to life the last couple of weeks. Rookie receiver had two really strong games. He's become a go-to guy in this offense. So if Zach Wilson's playing competent football, this is a team without a weakness. And, you know, I again, they're not the favorite in the AFC. But at this point, I think you could say they got a puncher's chance against anybody. Yeah, extremely strong start for the Jets, six and three. And for more on the six and three Jets, go check out John's work over at the Locked on Jets podcast. Again, your team every day, John. Thanks so much for talking with me here. I like what the Jets are cooking up there in New York. I think that they have something special. That AFC East division is one that has a lot of competitive teams. So I'm excited to see how that all pans out moving forward. But coming up in the final segment, I'm also excited about Justin Fields. We'll talk to Lauren Cox of Lockdown Bears about his performance in Week 9 and what the future holds for him and Chicago. So be sure to stay tuned. Still a ton to dive into here on the show. First, I do want to tell you, though, about Bet Online And Bet Online is your number one source for betting football and the start of the new basketball season. I'm a Denver Nuggets guy. The Nuggets play the Spurs tonight, so I'll be watching out for that. You can find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news podcasts, and in-depth analysis on every game. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for other sports, wagering your information with live betting ups and minute scores for every sport out there. It's the fastest and the easiest way to check out on all your favorite games and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. So head over to the website to use motor to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. We're back here. Our final segment of Locked On NFL. Kevin Allstriker, your host, rounding out your Monday here with you. Thank you so much for keeping it locked on with me here and making Locked On NFL your first listen of the day. Again, make sure your second listen today is Locked On Sports Today. And be sure to subscribe on YouTube here and follow along in audio form. But let's now dive into Justin Fields, a really polarizing young player. I think he has so much potential, really showed it in week nine of that loss of the Dolphins. We'll talk with Lauren Cox about that now. Well, the Chicago Bears lose to the Miami Dolphins 35-32 in Week 9, but there were positive takeaways, especially surrounding Justin Fields. Here to talk about that, the direction of the Bears and more is Lauren Cox, the host over at Locked On Bears. And Lauren, even though it did come in a loss, Justin Fields, I think, we saw the coming out party for him, but we see him go 17-28, 123 on, or through the air, three touchdowns there, but on the ground, 15 carries, 178 in a score, showcasing his dual threat ability. What, what confidence, Lauren, does this performance give you for Fields and his, I guess, prospects with the Bears moving forward? Yeah, for me, this is this is confirmation of, of what we've started to see flashes of, but really everything coming together now. It's not just one flash in the pan hot game, but we've seen now like three games in a row the Bears have been able to score at, at, a, at a really high pace. And now everything comes together in a game like this when he's wheeling and dealing from the pocket, throwing the ball, of course, as you mentioned, rushing for 175 yards, 78 yards, and, and really just... I mean, a dynamic playmaker. You see it with the arm and with the legs, 61 yards. And it really just sort of says like, yes, that's the guy the Bears traded up to draft. That's the guy who is supposed to be the face of the franchise. That's what it's supposed to look like. And then if you can just put like a real offensive line and a, a slowly improving group of wide receivers around him, you know, this, this is what 
you can really unlock the full potential of with this Bears offense for presumably as long as he can continue to stay healthy and, and you know, be this dynamic athlete. Right. And let's talk a bit about the game because obviously it is, it does come in a loss, unfortunately, but some of those flashes that you talked about, were there any plays or any sequences specifically, Lauren, that stood out to you that really said, Hey, this is what we've been seeing. And this is what we're so sold on here in Chicago. Well, like, you know, of course, like the obvious one is the 61 yard touchdown. And of course, when any player runs for 61 yards, that's a big thing, but a specific moment in that play when he, right when he gets past the line of scrimmage, he shows a little hard pump fake and then cuts on a dime and accelerates to full speed zero to 60 in like a half a second. But like that, that pump fake in space as a runner to think to do that. And he was like, he did an arm angle to like bring the linebacker one direction and he was planning to cut the other direction. Like not only the ability to run 61 yards and outrun guys and make guys miss, but like some of the little savvy things he's able to do on a play like that, that just, it feels like veteran type next level decision-making from, from a quarterback there that can, make those split second, just like instinctual decisions that he doesn't have to, didn't have to be super orchestrated. He just knows how to make those plays on, on that drive in particular. And that play in particular, you just sort of see the full combination of, of the arm and the leg, the threat of both so dynamic for fields. Yeah. And I think obviously Lauren, the season's not over. I know we're talking a lot about like, Oh, the future for fields in Chicago, but again, this is a three and six football team, but we still have a ton of football ahead of us, but the bears do go out there and they make a move seemingly for the future and getting chase Claypool, sending a second round pick there. Did you see anything from him and what do you envision his role being during his time in Chicago? Yeah. The bears made an effort to get the ball in his hands a few times, especially early on in the game. They seem to make it more of a, an emphasis point in this offense. I, I had low expectations for, you know, having him gotten here, what, five days ago when, when they traded for him. It's hard to have a player just jump into the offense and be ready to go at full speed. But, you know, they worked some screen passes to him. They they ran a jet sweep to him and t- took a couple of deep shots downfield. He drew a pass interference penalty on one of them as well. So it's lo- it looked like the early sprinklings of, of everything that was advertised with him, where there certainly are flaws there, but he's big, fast, and strong, and the Bears don't have a lot of wide receivers that are big, fast, and strong. There was even one play where the Dolphins had like eight or nine guys on the line of scrimmage showing blitz. Fields checks the line of scrimmage, just throws a quick little smoke screen out in space to Claypool. He makes the cornerback miss and gets a first down on it. It's like second and ten. So like you're seeing the skill set there, even if the full repertoire of, of the playbook and the full route you know, options for this offense are still coming in, in to see, into fruition here. But the, the, tra- the Claypool trade was definitely not as much about this year and a lot more about next year and potentially beyond if, if another contract is in store. Right, and, and we can look ahead a bit to the future, Laura. I mean, w- what's next for Chicago in terms of building this team around Justin Fields? I know a lot's been made of the wide receiver position. Obviously, they go out and get Claypool. But in your estimation, when the offseason does hit after the football that we still have, what do you think Chicago could be focusing on? Yeah, the trade deadline really represented like the end of the teardown and the start of the build back up, right? They traded Roquan Smith, they traded Robert Quinn, and that was kind of like, okay, pretty much down to bare bones. There's not much left that they could, ex- you know, to excavate from the previous regime here. And so now the buildup process starts with Chase Claypool, and they go into the offseason having the most salary cap space of any team in the NFL, what will likely be a high first-round pick. They traded their second-round pick for Claypool, but still have the Ravens' second-round pick that they got for Roquan Smith. I don't necessarily think they're going to go out and spend a ton of money at wide receiver. This was their big wide receiver move, but adding more on that offensive line, and I think a lot of the focus, again, is going to be on this Bears defense. As much as we want to talk about building around Justin Fields and investing in the offense, he's scoring these 32, 30, and 29 points a game right now, the last three games, with 
this team, this ragtag group of whoever they brought in this season, they're already scoring points. So I wonder if the Bears head for this offseason and say, well, Fields was doing it with these guys. We don't have to put that much more around him if we can give him a really good defense, maybe help the offensive line a little bit here, another receiver here, maybe a draft pick there. But I think more of the emphasis is going to be on really retooling that defense so that when you score 32 points against the Dolphins, that's enough to win instead of falling short. Yep, exactly. And let's end by looking ahead in this season in particular, Lauren. We saw this performance by Justin Fields here. What's next for him? What's next for the Bears as they embark on the rest of this 2022 year? Yeah, I mean, right now, it's been kind of the ideal thing, right, against the Dolphins where Fields plays really well and they lose, so they get the higher draft pick and the confidence in their quarterback. Like, that's been not their stated goal by any means. They, of course, want to win, and they're not waving the white flag, and they're going to push through. But, like, from the outside, like, that's that's ideally what you're looking for here. But I think in the last three weeks, Patriots, or Patriots Cowboys, Dolphins, three potential playoff teams, not – not top of the league, but you know, that second to third tier team, the bears have been right in there with all three and beat one of them. Like, I think this is a team that in every game this season, they're going to have a chance because they are able to score right now. They've got this offense rolling. They're creative. They're going to be able to have a dynamic playmaker at quarterback. Most teams, I mean, they play the bills and the Eagles. They might not, they might not do so hot in those games, but it's probably going to be five, six wins when it's all said and done. And, you know, pick right around the eight to 12 range and retooling for Justin Fields afterward. Even in a loss, they get that confidence in Justin Fields, which, hey, according to some people, is is that win-win situation, according to Lauren, win-win as well. For more on the Bears and Lauren's work, be sure to check out the Locked On Bears podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Lauren, thanks so much. Chicago is setting themselves up really nicely, it feels like, for the 2023 offseason. They do get Chase Claypool. They acquire some draft capital for guys like Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn. So we'll see. We'll see what they have over there in Chicago. But I think their rebuild is really starting to be a rebuild now, as Lauren said, and not necessarily the tear down part of it all. But that's all I have for you here today on Locked On NFL. Thank you so much for tuning in. When we get back here tomorrow, we're diving into more content with your Tuesday host. So be sure to stay tuned for that. And we will see you right back here tomorrow.